Well, Painter, hello. Hello, my friend. Um, so, inside baseball here. Actually, you know, some of you might have already gotten the email and probably already had seen it. We posted a podcast about Auburn, Mississippi State, and Auburn, um, Memphis basketball. I think it was like five minutes before the decision that Gus Malzahn is no longer the head coach at Auburn came down. I mean, we were wrapping it up and had it already posted and was getting ready to like disseminate it when the news came through. Um, I guess couldn't have been better timing, huh? (laughs) We joked about it and uh, we spoke it into existence. So let's plow ahead. Good job for us. Good job for us. Well, you know, if you listened to us and you read uh, this morning, I had said, um, didn't seem like Gus Malzahn was going to. It didn't seem like Gus Malzahn was going to be uh, relieved of his duties at Auburn. Um, lo and behold, Sunday afternoon, Auburn gets rid of Gus Malzahn. Um, no longer direct the program. Kevin Steele will be the interim. Um, Alan Green recommended a change in the football team's leadership to President Jay Googe after a thorough analysis of the program. Googe accepted. Uh, Green's recommendation. Uh, Malzahn will be played the remainder of his contract. A national search for his replacement will be will begin immediately. Um, this is a lot of money, folks. This is part of the reason what we talked about for for a little while. This is a lot of money. Uh, Gus Malzahn is owed uh, 21.450 million uh, from Auburn. 50% of it has to come within the next 30 days, and the rest will be paid in installments. Um, over the next four years, there is no offset language in that contract. That means if Gus Malzahn goes and gets another job, he will get paid by Auburn still. Man, you know, they the really same amount. the hell out of those guys in that, uh, in that contract. Jeez. Yeah, for God sure. God almighty. I mean, jeez. Next time, make sure there's a lawyer in there with that guy, whoever's making these decisions. Well, <laughs> so here's the thing. Auburn's making this decision, new AD. Um, not a new president, but a different president, um, you know, who had been brought back. Now you, this is a new... This is all involved in that. Um, yeah, exactly. Um, so a new search is going to be underway. Uh, there's a bunch of different directions we can go with this here in this podcast. Uh, I think what I'm going to do Monday, if you're listening Monday um, at The Observer, I'm going to break down... Uh, kind of a running list of uh, of candidates. Break down some pros and cons for each side. Their fit at Auburn. What what it what it means. What what they would mean if they took the head coaching job. Because there's a lot of them. And um, you know, within the first hour and a half, you've already heard probably a ton of them. And we might mention some of them here in this podcast. But I think first and foremost, we got to get to how we got here and why this happened. And it was something that I tweeted uh, right after the decision went down. Auburn's offensive SP plus during the Malzahn tenure, 2013, fifth in the country, 14, third, 2015, 28th, 2016, 49th. So take a step back there, but they had a really good defense that season, kind of fell apart late. 
2017, of course, going to the SEC uh, uh, title game, 26. 2018, 19th. Played a brutal schedule that year. Um, 2019, 34th in the country. 2020, 46. Um, and 31.7 heading into last night was their offensive SP. That is the lowest uh, Auburn has had under Gus Malzahn. And, of course, the first three quarters, you know, we talked about it in the podcast that some of you might have listened to, but we've never um, – you know, that'll never see the light of day again. First three quarters, it looked a lot of the same. You know, Gus Malzahn's offense with Chad Morris, it just under all uh, under Gus Malzahn, Auburn's offense had gone backwards. Um, couldn't really get anything going offensively till late last night uh, against Mississippi State in the fourth quarter. Ran the ball really well down the stretch. But it's this passing game and, like, the direction of the program. Offense is the way to go. And Auburn's offense is going backwards from where it has been. You know, they have since, really since 2017, little gradual steps back. Now, they'll never hit the highs of 2013 and 2014. They never got back to that point. But even still, it was going backwards. And we had talked about it, Painter, early in the year, part of the reason why, or a couple weeks ago, why this made, this was a possibility that Auburn would get rid of Gus Malzahn after this year is that even in a pandemic year, even with all the, the context that, that's involved, this program regressed. They took a step backwards. They did not even, like holding steady would have been so valuable. We've said it before a bunch of times on this uh, on this podcast. Holding steady would have been real valuable um, for, you know, uh, for, for a season like this. You know, just, just maintain it. And then once everything kind of gets closer to normal, uh, after you know the pandemic is hopefully at the end of its peak, next season you can start to say, all right, then that's where the build comes. Just survive this season. Well, meanwhile, Auburn's offense did not take the step forward. We thought the passing game did not take a step forward with a returning starter at quarterback, with a returning with three returning starters at wide receiver, um, and. They didn't beat a team that finished with a above, above 500 record in the SEC this season. Um, they lost by double digits to all three of the um, ranked teams they played this season. The Texas A&M game one, of course, coming um, you know kind of with a with a meltdown in the fourth quarter at home. Alabama and Georgia, of course, were, were were lopsided losses. They never really felt like they were in. That's going backwards, and so when you hear a, a quote like this one uh, from Alan Green saying, after evaluating the state of the Auburn football program, we decided to make a change in leadership. Um, you know, a thorough analysis. He wanted to go in a different direction. He said, here, here it is. We will begin a search immediately for a coach that can help the Auburn program consistently compete at the highest level. Consistently, I think, was the key word there. Because that's, that's not what you got in the Gus Malzahn era. I think what I'm also curious here with Green's role, it's the most important, certainly the most public decision he'll make, right? And it's not just who you hire, but what it took to put the program in a position to make the new hire. You get a bit of leeway with that buyout because you weren't involved with it. That wasn't done by you and it wasn't done by the current president. But all that aside, this is a huge decision that will we will analyze fans will analyze media members will analyze for the rest of Alan Green's tenure. And to your point, a large part of that I think has to start with, okay, who can you get that can continue doing some of the things Malzahn was doing? Well, make that a little bit better. And as you said, mm-hmm. make it more consistent. 
That's the thing, and that's a challenge ahead because, you know, Gus Malzahn, for the good he did at Auburn, getting him to the national title in 2013, um, having a really good offense at the beginning of his tenure, changing, adapting, bringing in Kevin Steele, becoming a different style team, you know, over the time, getting back to the SEC title in 2017, and who knows what happens there if, you know, on Johnson doesn't get hurt. You know, last season with a freshman quarterback beating Alabama, beating Oregon, a team that won the Rose Bowl in the Pac-12 at the beginning of the year. Like, there were high points and nobody can say, but it was just that consistency, right? And so that's going to be the big question moving forward for Auburn. And to me, the the point that you're going to look for here if you're Auburn is offense, right? Gus Malzahn was an offensive coach. He brought in Chad Morris. He's, he, he had his hands on the offense on and off at the times. There wasn't a ton of consistency there on the offensive end. They have got to figure out what it's going to take to put up points against ranked teams. This season, Auburn, 13 points in games against, per, per game in games against ranked teams. 4.6 yards per play against ranked teams. That's 59th in the country. When you look at the teams that are competing at the top of the market in college football, even the ones that are trying to break through, a team like Florida, I know they lost last night, but a team like Florida, a team like Texas A&M, they are doing a better job of moving the ball and putting it in the end zone. Defense is great. And last night, Auburn's defense played lights out. And 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 that defense, if they can continue to build on on what they've got on that de- on that defense, that is going to be a weapon. You've got to have dudes who can make plays on that side of the ball. But it is more important to put up great offensive numbers. And right now, Auburn had had too many, it just too much where it just they felt like they were kind of stuck in the mud. And for the first three quarters last night, it looked like Auburn's offense was just broken, um, unless you know it was every couple of play every couple two or three carries you know tank Bigsby would break one to the outside and get an explosive play um that's that's priority one and so when you look at the people who are going to be coming up next for auburn as potential replacements for gus malzahn as we said kevin Steele is going to be the interim head coach he's already been a head coach in the past there is a lot of value if he still wants to be the one still wants to coach at auburn there's still a lot of value in keeping kevin Steele around because that defense, even though they took a step back this season in some areas because of injuries and some losses and how weird it was this year, they played really good football last night. And you can tell that the pieces are there. We talked about it on the podcast that uh, will be long forgotten. And I wrote in the observations on Sunday morning. The thing about it for, for Auburn was that defense had a number of young players who we know for a fact are going to be back next year. Owen Papo, Derek Hall, Colby Wooden, Ladarius Tennyson, Zion Puckett, guys like that making plays, they got to continue to get, you know, they're, they're, there's a foundation there. The offensive side, we, we, you start looking, all right, Bo Nix doesn't take the, the step forward. You think Tank Bigsby's running the ball extremely well. You saw better uh, running this season from both Sean Chivers and DJ Williams when they were healthy. Offensive line struggled in pass protection, including a lot in certain games, uh, but did a better job at running. You got to be able to throw the ball. You got to be able to do it. Like that is kind of the 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 marker, and things weren't getting better in that area. So I, it, that's where the steel thing is going to be very very interesting to watch. Um, just because it would make sense to keep a guy like him around, and be it would make sense to get a defensive minded coach, especially coming off of having an offensive minded coach mouse on. But your big problem is you got to fix that offense. Right. Uh, something else that I'm wondering in terms of staff and turnover, I have no idea what the next coach 
will do. And anyone who pretends to know, ignore them. They don't know yet either, as we don't know who the next coach will be. But keeping around someone like Travis Williams or even Cardinal Williams, yep. I think could be good moves that show a commitment Both to those the guys. current players that have been recruited. Plus, you know, they played here and they're good recruiters in their own right. Something to mm-hmm. consider. Rodney Garner. That, oh, yeah. I mean, and like you could throw out a number of names. It wouldn't surprise yeah. me either way if Auburn has one person held over, you know, maybe even two people held over for the next staff. But then again, the won't surprise me if the next program builder, next coach comes in and says, "No, nah, we're just gonna we're gonna roll with my guys." And that would be like Auburn needs something different to kind of go forward. You know, I had said I had thought that it was gonna be hard for me to see Auburn break through under Gus Mills on the way it had been right now. It was gonna take a lot in twenty twenty one for it to pop, especially if like Seth Williams and Anthony Schwartz and Eli Stove and those guys were back. And it's just it opens things up for for you know something new and like it's a risk it is a giant gamble look at how many rock solid coaching hires that have been made over the last few years that have not worked out texas is gritting their teeth and keeping tom herman right now uh 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 scott frost is not doing well at all in nebraska michigan i guess is keeping harbaugh i don't know what's happening there but that was a slam dunk of all slam dunks and not working out there as well. Justin Fuente was the hottest name in college football for a while. You know, I think he's kind of taking it back. Uh, you know, I think Virginia Tech crushed Virginia last night, but um, you know that that was looking real bad there for a while. So it's a risk, and you don't want to run into a situation where you, you knew don't what you're Tennessee, right? You knew what the floor was under Malzahn, right? The problem was you were closer to the floor than the ceiling more more often than not. And you didn't know, you felt like you might have been hitting, like scraping up against your ceiling up top. Um, the, the fact remains that whoever is Auburn's head coach is still going to have to play Alabama and Georgia and LSU and Texas A&M every single year. And every now and then they're going to have to play a team like Florida. And every now and then they're going to play a really good uh, uh, Power 5 non-conference opponent. Those challenges are going to still remain. So... What are you going to do and what are you going to bring to the table that is going to be different? Now, here's the other thing that's going to be very interesting. How much patience is there going to be from the Auburn fan base once this change is made, right? Because depending on who you get, there might be needing some building up time, right? And this is <laughs> this is a stretch right now where there's a lot demanded because of how good Alabama is, how good Georgia is, how a team like LSU won the national title a couple years ago. So, I, I, I'm fascinated to see what the, the dynamics are going to be next for this fan base. A fan base that probably close to more than, than less wanted to change. I, I, it might be, it might have been close to 50-50, but I, you know, I had, I had heard and everything I had gathered, it seemed like eh, it was rather likely that Malzahn was going to be back uh, in 2021. But apparently there was enough to pull the trigger. And I think last night, especially those first three quarters on offense, really didn't help Painter's. Um, Painter, as somebody who you would probably still consider yourself a fan of this program, um, a fan of Auburn football, what like what are you thinking needs to be next? What, like, what, what do you think the future now looks like for Auburn in terms of this is what expectations should be, this is what this new coach should be because we're entering a new era. We're entering a brand new era. 
Gus Malzahn, with the exception of 2012, Gus Malzahn had been connected to Auburn football since 2009. You know, it, it was, it was pretty much. It's been a long time since he hasn't been involved. Nobody was talking about the defense except for maybe like Nick Fairley and Josh Bynes in 2010. When we think about all the success that came from Gene Chizik's era, it tends to be offensive-minded. Uh, we tend to think about the dominance of those Malzahn-led offenses and then, you know, the beginning of his tenure at Auburn, too. Yeah. and It's been a decade of, of that in some form, you know, with the exception so, of, of, what, one season? Yeah. So I'm curious. I mean, not knowing who the next coach is, like what – how do you feel about this and now you're entering in the unknown with Auburn? Like under Malzahn, as frustrating as it was for, for fans, a very vocal group of fans, you kind of knew that you probably weren't going to lose more than four or five games in a year. Like you weren't going to bottom out, but it was going to take something special to break through and beat a team like Alabama or beat a team like Georgia and get in contention. Now it's kind of wide open. And like, like I, I'm very curious to see what that looks like for the fan base, and what and what kind of patience are you going to be able to give a new head coach uh, at this time? Because the other part about it is this is going to be a lot of money. You want to be patient, but you're also paying a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of money for it. I was. I think the good news for Auburn here is that it didn't seem to me like generally the program was moving in the right direction, both in the wins loss column, and we can go back and forth on recruiting and why it was the way it was this year and how Auburn might have been able to finish strong and get pretty close to where it is most years. But what I really want to see is the next coach move Auburn, if it's feasible, we'll find out, into the 8 to 12 range, more or, or like the 5 to 8 range, excuse me. Malzahn kind of had Auburn in that 8 to 12 recruiting range. I'd like for them to take a step up with the next coach. And, you know, that's not a given. That's certainly not a given. I think also good news in terms of recruiting – is that with some of the time remaining uh, before the early signing period, if you can create some excitement, if you get the right hire, I, I think that you can actually uh, close signing day with a little bit of momentum. And I think that also what this does, this is not a, a bad roster necessarily. I think that you're no. right to point out that there are some areas in which a coach might come in and think, all right, you know, this is a pretty clear deficiency, but Compared to a lot of jobs where you're coming off of a, a coach who had a couple of bad recruiting cycles and it seemed kind of obvious for a year or two that they were on the hot seat and the recruiting tailed off, or in the case of like Tennessee, who's had some good recruiting cycles but really nothing to show for it for the last 15 years, it's such a big task. It is a chore to come in and try to turn the program around, one that often takes a few years. I don't think Auburn's quite in the position right now where you're thinking it's a it's a two, maybe even three-year turnaround to be competitive. Now, mm-hmm. is Auburn going to come out and win the SEC championship next year? No. I don't think it would have mattered much. I, I certainly didn't have much hopes for Auburn doing that under Malzahn next season, let alone right. a new coach. But I think overall you've given yourself a jump start because to me this outcome seemed inevitable at the end of next year. And maybe Auburn mm-hmm. would have had – a 2017-like season, right, where they surprised us all and they go on a run and they find themselves in Atlanta or, you know, maybe they win 10 or 11 games and it gets kind of hard to fire a coach with double-digit wins. To me, it seemed like Auburn did the thing that, yeah, it is a lot of money and it's, you know, optically it's, it's optically not ideal. 
but it also seemed to me like something that was going to happen uh, this time next year. And for the sake of the program, I think that might be better. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. So, uh, you know, I think, I think uh, if you're Auburn and seeing what's next, I, the timing of this is really interesting because yes, it is a lot of money, but also Auburn is the biggest job available on the market right now. And that, I think, has some sway. Like, South Carolina already did you a favor by making a change and then hiring a dude nobody else wanted. Um, so good job there, South Carolina. <laughs> Are um, you talking about in terms of leverage for another coach to eyeball another program and say, well, I don't have to take this job? Yeah, or just in, just in the case of, like, there's just not as much competition right now. Like, Auburn is the big – like, Illinois fired Lovey Smith today. Okay, Auburn is the biggest job available. We'll see what happens at Michigan. But Texas saying that they weren't going to make a move, right? So now some of the bigger names out there are, yeah. I mean, like Auburn is Auburn is the Auburn is the big one. Like Auburn is the big name out there, and I think that might have had something to do with it. This is going to be kind of a quiet cycle as we expected due to the pandemic, and it might be one that Auburn will be able to try. You know, it'll have less competition um, moving forward. So, with all that being said. Um, I wanted to take a moment right here to talk about how, y'all, it is the reaction from the players. They, they, don't, they didn't see this coming, it didn't look like. Um, but it also shows you how much, you know, for all of Malzahn's inconsistencies and problems as an Auburn head coach, the high moments and the low moments and all that, he was a player's coach. Like, this man, this man had a lot of people behind him, and his coach, his, his players are heartbroken. Um, they hated to see this being the end. Former players, current players, all that kind of kind of blindsided to a degree. I think that goes to talk about the kind of guy Gus Malzahn was in representing your program, right? We had talked about it, and somebody had asked a question about it in the mailbag on Friday. The fact that Auburn didn't have as many off-the-field issues over the last few years, that Malzahn didn't, and there wasn't any NCAA problems, that that carries weight. That carries weight, and that's not something that you just get out of any coach. So that's something I think you also got to keep in mind um, when you look at who might be next for Auburn, uh, is that the guy that you're replacing has put up a pretty high standard, I think, in terms of being a player's coach. And connecting to that locker room, connecting to that roster, connecting to recruits, connecting to their families. Sure, he wasn't the guy who was good at glad handing with the boosters. Sure, there were a lot of fans who thought he was, you know, uh, out of touch, paranoid, whatever. But it's not going to be easy to step in. It's not going to be easy to step in and have, you know, on a ro- in, in this roster and have, you know, somebody come in that was is replacing somebody who is really who's as loved as he was. And so it's going to make that's that also I think is kind of what makes the whole Kevin Steele angle interesting. I was not totally surprised, but it still made me laugh just a little bit at some of the reactions we I I've seen what you're talking about, both the player's reaction to being hurt for Malzahn on his behalf and also some surprise from fans at the level at which we're seeing players upset. And a reminder about what we said and that some of you, you know, get mad at us from time to time for pointing out these things, but it does matter that the players connected with him and never quit on him. And 
at the end of the day, the win-loss thing matters a lot more, but it's telling in this moment. And uh, I guess the other thing I would add to that is it's both very clear that the players liked Malzahn, they came here to play for him, and as far as I'm aware, players past and present are, are hurting from this. I also don't think it's that unusual. I think you're seeing it on a greater degree than you might see it with some other coaches who are let go. You know, sometimes at certain programs, there's not as much of this. But I, I do think it, it's not like uh, I, we saw something comparable with Matt Luke, right, last year. And then the players were excited, I think, by who mm-hmm. was brought in. So it's not like you can't win the players back over. Is right, the, the right. Long that's, a very, winding that's a very way good point. That's of a very what I'm trying point. to say. But I, I, I do think you shouldn't really be taken aback at, at how the players past no. and present are reacting. We had a lot of evidence that, that told us that regardless of what you think about Malzahn and, you know, hey, when I saw the statistic last week or whenever it was that the four-loss thing was floating around, like, it, it hurt a little bit. But, I, you know, there is there is some um, level of appreciation I will always have in Gus that he gave us some of the most exciting college football finishes of all time. And I mean, he made, he made Auburn chaos Auburn. Yeah, quite literally. Some of the most exciting finishes of, in college football history happened with Gus Malzahn at the helm. And I will always appreciate that, generally speaking, I think the vibe around him as a person, yep. uh, whether you worked with him or you played for him, was one of respect. Absolutely. I, I put it out on Twitter uh, this afternoon. Um, when I got laid off at the Athletic earlier this year, uh, the first call I got was from my parents who were on the road uh, together and um, uh, who were going on vacation, actually. Um, the second call I got was from Gus Malzahn. That's the kind of dude he was. And he's a guy that I had only – I've never covered another head coach. I started really this thing in earnest. I did a, did a game or two in 2012 um, when, I was, when I was starting out. But 2013 when I was at the Plainsman in my first year on, like, on staff there full – you know, not full-time, but you know what I mean um, – we have overlapped our entire tenure. This is this is new territory. Um, Malzahn was always good to me. He was always kind to me. Um, I think there's plenty of people on this beat. There's plenty of people who are fans, alumni, uh, players, coach, uh, coaches. Everybody will say that. And I can tell personally, to you personally, you know, uh, always very kind. He's a very caring guy. There's not very many of those in this industry, honestly. And I think the way the players have kind of gone to bat for him today uh, shows that, that, you know, it, it, it's, it's, you don't always get guys like him. So I, we'll see how that much plays into what happens next. So uh, I think there's a big portion of the fan base that today is very much and understandably good riddance. Gus, don't let the door hit you on your way out for on the field stuff. But I, I do think that in time there will be some appreciation for, yeah. what all Auburn accomplished on the field. While I think the there. same thing happened to Chiswick, though, too, right? And they brought Chiswick back. Right. And did the whole right. thing. I mean, yeah. And he's still around here. I don't know what Malzahn does next. Yeah, I know I, I know he loves co- I know he loves coaching football. Yeah, you had mentioned, you know, like if you, you wondered if he would continue to coach. And, like, um, I don't know. I don't know what to make of that. Has your opinion on that matter changed? Because it's like, well, he certainly doesn't have to. He doesn't have to. If he wants to be done, he can just be done. But I know he loves coaching football. That's that's where it's like I have a hard time. I mean, he is relatively young. Um, yeah, he could still do this for a while. He could do it for another 10 or 15 years. And you could go to, you know, I, I, I'm just making up names here. But, like, if you if he went to a place like SMU or something, wouldn't they be thrilled to have him? 
Right. Vanderbilt? Uh, yeah, a school of that caliber. It's like, oh, Vanderbilt's wow, this guy open. has had some true success before. That would be interesting. I like your Vanderbilt hire, the one you've been campaigning for more, though. Uh, Neamadalola? Yes, yes, yeah. yes. Oh, yeah, it could be Monken, too. He's now the hot name because of, of Army's sure. become, become the better pro- program there. Anyway, so... As we said, Gus Malzahn's out. The program had gone, had started to regress. Um, offensively, they were not where they wanted to be. Um, I think that's got to be a key when you look ahead at what's next. Going to try to get to as many um, coaching candidates to look out for um, on Monday in the, and subscribe to the Observer. Um, six dollars a month or sixty dollars a year for those of you who, who aren't subscribed already. If you're not and you you uh, just listen to the free podcast once a week, really appreciate you. Um, it's gonna these are gonna get very interesting moving forward. Uh, so um, you know uh, appreciate everybody for supporting. Um, I think the big names that jump out immediately. There's there's a big three I think at this point, and I'm and I'll be curious to see what else you know emerges. But the big three to me right now of the ones you hear about the most are uh, let's put them in alphabetical order. Uh, Mario Cristobal at Oregon, uh, Hugh freeze uh, at Liberty, formerly of Ole Miss and uh, Billy Napier, who is now Louisiana uh, also former uh, saving assistant as well. Um, there are pros and cons to each of those guys. Uh, I know for one, Cristobal was trying to line up a, a long-term deal at Oregon. I wonder how much this, <laughs> the timing of this, affects it because I think Cristobal is going to be a head coach in the in the SEC at some point, but he has got it made at Oregon. Um, we'll see. Freeze. The pros for Freeze are there, and they're very obvious. The cons are also very obvious with him. The other weird thing there, and, I, and I've said it, I've said it before. The other weird thing there is that he, he and Gus are close, and I, it's just that's the weird kind of like awkward. Kind of like dating one of your good friends' girlfriends. <laughs> oh no, like man! You can do it, and like I guess they did break up, but also, is that insensitive? Perhaps. Perhaps, but we'll see. I mean, because the thing about it there is, is that in Hugh Freeze. Let us strip out all of the, and you have to talk about him in context, but surely, just strictly in football terms, he's kind of Gus, you know. <laughs> I mean, just with a little bit, a little bit different, a little bit of different path, and a, and a whole lot different path here recently. Well, um, also, one of them has been to two national titles, and the other one hasn't. Right. Now, some uh, people will say oh, that's because he was at Ole Miss, and it's like, right. well, that's, that's that's all well and good, but all, the other know. thing. The other thing that's kind of hanging over this is the Saban assistant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because those have not been successful against Nick Saban. Now, have they not been successful in other areas? Sure. They, they definitely have. Look at what Kirby Smart's done. Auburn would love to be where Kirby Smart, but it's hard to get to where Kirby Smart's doing because you're in, the di- you're in a different division. You're in, the, you're in the same division. You have to play this team every single year. Yeah, I mean, the so division that's, that's the other helps, thing that hangs it. And then being the flagship school of that state and all of its recruiting and its you know, financial resources. It's just some obvious advantages Georgia has that very few other programs also have. But as we have said, when Auburn made this change, if they were going to make this change, it could not be change for the sake of change, right? Auburn needs to have a plan moving forward. Everybody's got to get on board. Everybody's got to give this new coach 
what it takes to succeed. And there's a lot of politics and there's a lot of behind the scenes stuff at Auburn. These things got to get streamlined, right? People want out. Like they got what they wanted. Gus Malzana's not the head coach anymore. So whoever's next, whoever's next, you got to give them opportunities to succeed, right? And so the pressure, that's where the pressure things are going to be interesting. What the expectations like? Because what happens next year if they come with this new roster and they're not that good? What do you do then? Right? So it's it, 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 Auburn is trying to build the football facility, which from everything I've heard, that's still on track. I just, if you're going to make a change, you better, uh, every every hire is a risk, is a gamble. Everybody's going to want to be like if they ever, when they when they pick up somebody. Um you know, when they pick when they pick somebody out, uh, it's going to be this rush to grade the hire. You don't know anything about grading a hire. Who would have thought that that Scott Frost would have been this bad at Nebraska? And or, then, you know, you, know you, you pointed out the Herman, the Harbaugh, and the Frost thing, but the inverse of that is everyone was excited about Saban coming to Alabama, but he was coming off of a disappointing tenure in Miami and – it's not like people had him pegged as the greatest coach of all time. They just thought, well, this is a guy who has won a national title, so he can make Alabama better. And what happened was they became the greatest dynasty the sport's ever seen. I imagine if we went back and did grades the first month of uh, you know, Nick Saban's tenure, nobody had that put down. Mm-hmm. So yeah. you, know, you can sort of get an estimation based on people's past resumes, but this is much more of an art than it is a science. Like, some of it's good fortune. Some of it's certainly the political stuff that happens behind the scenes that most of us are not privy to and will never know about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm also wondering how timing is going to be here because early signing period is Wednesday, and I don't think, I mean, heck, if they have somebody in by then, that'd be pretty be incredible. Yeah, be pretty be pretty incredible, amazing. but... Um, like, I don't think you can sit around and wait because Michigan might come open at some point and, like, some of these other schools might come around. So I'm very curious to see what's next. I'm also interested to see what the recruiting class fallout is going to be. Uh, according to Keith Niebuhr, who does an excellent job of covering recruiting at, at uh, 24-7, he reported that um, – or he tweeted uh, – yeah, he tweeted a quote from uh, Demetrius Davis that said he was locked in. That is huge huge stuff to keep a guy who could be your quarterback of your future in place. We'll see a guy like Lee Hunter might not commit, you know, this week they were talking about flipping, uh, some guys, some higher, higher ranked guys elsewhere. That might be different now. Right? So you're having to bite the bullet this year. Let's see. Let's see what kind of effect is that, that, that has in there, but I'm very interested to see with just the dichotomy of, of, a, of an offensive coach and a defensive coach. Um, what that can mean, what this means for Kevin Steele, guys like you said, Painter earlier, Travis Williams, Cadillac Williams, some guy, uh, Rodney Garner, guys that have been very successful in recruiting and, and, and coaching early and on. They give at you Auburn. a good feel, I think, for what it is if you are a new coach, what you're walking into in terms of a culture. You might have an idea, a perception from working around or against Auburn for a mm-hmm. number of years and having friends in the industry who know the program, but. Truthfully, I think there's probably some value in having someone you feel like is in your corner and has spent a good amount of their life working in what is really a weird, strange bubble. What we have in Auburn is both a community and as an athletics department. Yep. So here we go into the unknown. (laughs) Um, 
I just yeah, it's it's going to be it's going to be a fascinating path forward because anything's anything's possible at this point. I think, except for Urban Meyer coming to Auburn. I don't think Urban Meyer's coming to Auburn. <laughs> Watch that be the thing. Watch me just like all right, all right, guys. I know I said that Malzahn probably wasn't getting fired, but I definitely <laughs> this guy's definitely not getting fired. It's like all right, you know what? You I'm never making a prediction ever again. The fever pitch of oh, good the Lord. Auburn fan base. Jesus. So again, I say keep an eye on that big three. Um, we'll see. We'll see what the what the speed of this move is going to be. But um, here we go. Uh, it's going to be something different. It's going to be something new, um, and it's probably going to be something that we haven't seen in a while. Because, like you said, Gus Malzahn's been around this program since two thousand nine, with the exception of that twelve season, of course. Um, the fingerprints have been there for a while. So now here comes something. Here comes something new and different, and. Um, I'll just say it. All right, Painter, right now, gun to your head as a fan. Who do you want the job right now? Three, two, one, tell me. Cristobal with the caveat that Lane Kiffin would be amazing, even though I don't think it's a very realistic option. And I say Lane Kiffin. I'm, I'm personally, I'm, I'm personally of the opinion. I'm personally of the opinion that Lane Kiffin would be Auburn's best hire. Well, and that's we've why talked it's not about this. Happen. So, so let me just turn it over to you as to why it should be Lane, even though it won't be. And then I'll say my piece about. Cristobal, who, you know, for what it's worth, is not having a spectacular year at Oregon, and yet they're still trying to keep him, if you've noticed, people. Uh, I don't know if personality-wise Lane would fit in uh, with what Auburn wants to be, Um, but I do know that uh, it would unlock the, like, NWO Bullet Club-esque style of Auburn where they're just like, hey, we're the the bad guys. Hello. Um, We're here embracing chaos Auburn, I think. We're just going to mess you up. It would be, and he he knows how to coach offense. He knows how to call plays. His offenses, even this first year, they have given problems to pretty much everybody they've played, regardless of how good they are. That's something that Auburn needs. I don't think he jumps it from Ole Miss. Heavy. I also think if he's at Ole Miss, he could be the Ole Miss coach for life. Yeah, that's what I'm curious about his career trajectory is. Do you stay there and stay in the seven to nine win range and keep your fan base really happy because you're basically one of them and like, you know you're king there. The expectation isn't to win a championship. It's just to go to bowl games and sort of be an upset team that occasionally overachieves. Or do you try to jump to a a team that's closer to tier one? And, you know, even if he does want to do that at some point, I don't think it's Auburn. It's not a lateral move. Auburn is unequivocally a better football program and, and better option than Ole Miss. But I don't think it's a big enough jump for the headache that comes along with it right now that if you're Lane Kiffin, it's worth the move. But he undoubtedly embraces chaos Auburn. He makes them exciting and makes press conferences for us. No one else cares about this, but he would make those more fun. He doesn't take it too seriously, which is refreshing. Most of these coaches act like they are the president. So, you know, I, I think there would be some real upsides to what it is Lane could offer. And I think he has an understanding, too, of sort of the pecking order of where Auburn stands in its own conference and in its own state. And I think he would use that to to Auburn's advantage. But for Cristobal, I would say, like, he is what I think is the best case of stability, maintaining mm-hmm. the floor of what it is Malzahn. Recruiting. And then recruiting is the big one. It's like I mentioned earlier, Malzahn sort of – Man, it can win at the line of scrimmage. Oh, my God, yeah. You look like at what Oregon's brought years, in. Yeah, you look what years. Oregon's got. Ooh. They got Kayvon Thibodeau um, from Louisiana to come play at Oregon as the you know one of the best players, if not the best recruit in the Which country. Think about it, it's pretty weird that he not only didn't go to LSU, but he just didn't go to a Southeastern Conference school. He was like, all right, yeah, I'll go to Oregon. Uh, Panay Sewell, mm-hmm. of course. He got Noah Sewell, who's a linebacker, his brother. 
the recruiting there would would be there. I'd be very. Like it could be better. Like you, you could improve your your overall recruiting mm-hmm. on a yearly basis. Would be very interested to see what Oregon, what he would do offensively in the SEC. His the Oregon offense there um, has put up some big numbers again this season, even without uh, Justin Herbert at quarterback. I know they've lost some games. Defense seems to be more of the issue there at Oregon, um, and then some like turnovers and weird stuff happening there. But um, on a per play play on a per play basis. Um, they're really good this season. Um, he would be he would be a pretty good hire there. So that would be the, the uh, yeah. I think that's I think he's going to be the big swing. That if you're going to go, to me, he's got to be the first call based on what seems to be plausible with the information. Yeah, and, like, and the whole and the whole right. talk about and the whole talk about Oregon about Oregon trying to get lock him into a long term a longer term deal. The timing this makes a lot of sense. Now, if you're Cristobal, if you're Cristobal, you could stay at Oregon and have it made for a while. And Auburn, like Auburn's going to give you a ton of pressure, right? It doesn't matter who they get. You're, you're going to get a lot of pressure from the fan base. Um, there will be some patience probably early on, but you're also, I mean, like he probably you're, you're heading into patience. You're it. heading in. You're heading into. You're heading into a buzzsaw uh, schedule wise if you make that move. Like Oregon hasn't played a ranked team all year. My guess is if he stayed at Oregon the next four years, they'd win three of the next four conference titles. They should, just based on talent and the fact that what's-his-name's not at Washington anymore. And for all of USC's allure, it doesn't seem to be able to provide what it once did. So it's like, you know, he ought to just be – they'd probably be the favorite in their conference every year that he's there. Yeah, so. we will space? Is there any no. I'm forgetting about where it's like – Mm-mm. Pretty much most seasons, I would expect that he has an easier schedule and should be the favorite in his own conference, as opposed to Auburn, where it's like you might be the fourth, fifth, or sixth team in the conference most years, given how well Georgia and Alabama tend to play and sort of the up and down nature of Florida and Texas A&M right now. Yeah. So we will have everything on that moving forward. I think what I'm going to do is I'm just going to just unleash just hey this is what <laughs> this is every candidate you can think of here's what makes sense for them and here's what here's what doesn't make sense for them and look that look for that tomorrow Excellent. um that will be the play subscribe to auburn observer auburnobserver.com for all of that all right here's what we're going to do we recorded <laughs> a podcast that broke down the mississippi state game and the auburn memphis game we still want to talk about the auburn memphis game so what we're going to do is the Auburn Memphis talk. We are going to take a break here real quick. We'll come back. We will play you the previously recorded earlier in the day. So if we say anything about football, sorry. Um <laughs> we're gonna play change, that. Things we're happen. gonna pl- yeah, we're gonna play that part of the podcast talking about Auburn's win over Memphis. So after the music stops, you'll hear Auburn Auburn Memphis talk uh, on the basketball side, and then uh, we'll come back to wrap it up here shortly. Let's switch gears here to a team uh, that's garnering some more excitement across the campus and across the Auburn fan base. <laughs> Bruce Pearl and the Auburn basketball Tigers, 74-71 over Memphis. Heated, heated, rival, heated rival Memphis. 
You know, that was one of the things I took away from this game was that in all actuality, it did not mean anything. Not just because Auburn isn't going to be playing in the tournament this year, but it's a non-conference game. And really, it just, I think, was a point of pride for Auburn fans because they've been watching Bruce Pearl and Penny Hardaway go back and forth in recruiting battles. And they're both Memphis less so than Auburn. Auburn's definitely new money, but... I felt like this was one Auburn fans really wanted to have, given the way the last few performances went, and I think there's a bit of a grudge match going on between these programs. Yes, the Jalen Green Memorial Invitational uh, in Atlanta on <laughs> on on Saturday, seventy four seventy one win for Auburn. Uh, yeah, Memphis is probably going to be an NCAA tournament team if we have one of those. Um, yeah, they look good. They're still trying to figure some things out. Bruce Pearl wanted to wanted to point that out. Like they're still trying to figure out some things offensively. Um, but what's up with Penny saying that was such a gut wrenching loss? Because he he spent and uh, Danielle Lerner, who I used to work with at the Athletic, covers Memphis now. Uh, I was reading her tweets last night about it while I was writing the story. It seemed to be that the message coming out of Memphis in that game for Penny was like, "Man, we missed so many opportunities, and guys were not doing what they were supposed to on offense." And we were, you know, had too many breakdowns, easy breakdowns on defense. And it was like a very much a we we lost this game. And I get that. There were, I mean, there were several stretches where it was like, how in the world did Memphis not come away with that with a bucket on that possession? And Auburn did a good job there. Um, yeah, I think it was just kind of one of those things where I think Penny recognized. Uh, let me look it up here. I think Penny recognized that this was one of their higher profile non conference games this season, and by extension, one of their. Um, one of their higher-profile games of the season, period. Uh, I know early in the year they played St. Mary's and won and, beat, and lost to Western Kentucky and VCU. And uh, yeah, I guess they, they won't have that many notable conferences. Well, a, well, here's the thing. Here's the thing. AAC AAC plays uh, begins this week. They jump right into this thing. Uh, they play Tulane on Wednesday. Um, and there's some good teams in the AAC this year. Houston looks awesome early in the year. Um, SMU is decent. Cincinnati's good. Um so I mean, there 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 are some pieces, but like this was a this was a quality this was a chance to get a quality win, and like they're gonna head into um, they're gonna head into conference play having lost three of their four mm-hmm. games against you know top one hundred teams and not conference play. So I think that I think that was partly gutting as well. Uh, it was in Atlanta. I know there wasn't fans there, but like it's you know the recruiting aspect mm-hmm. of it. I think is always something you can play up for this game, but. Yeah, they took that one pretty. They took that one pretty tough. And Auburn coming off of eight days rest, um, thought that they. I thought that they looked. They looked. Uh, they looked a lot more locked in in this game than they did against South Alabama. Which was in South Alabama, they could just you know kick the ball around and just light it up from deep. Um, this game, they had to grind, and they were down. They were down as many as seven or eight early. Um, weathered the storm. I wrote about it. They um, they weathered the storm early. And if you separate the game into the forty-minute game into into quarters, so to speak, Auburn won the second, third, and fourth quarter. It was only the f- fourth, first quarter uh, that they fell behind in. Um, so, really, really good win for them in that aspect. All eleven players played uh, for Auburn. Um, all eleven pretty much contributed well. We'll talk about him a little bit. Javon Franklin had an awesome run off the bench, and we haven't seen a ton out of him this year. So that was a good stretch for him. But we cannot go any further by saying if Tank Bigsby. The big star for the true freshman wearing an all-white uniform for Auburn on Saturday night. You also have to mention the other true freshman in an all-white uniform doing well for Auburn on Saturday night, and that was, once again, Justin Powell, 26 points in his second career start. He has put up back-to-back 26-point games, and the man is a walking bucket. 
He's been exciting. I don't know what else to say, man. Like, I, I had high hopes for him, and not just because he was white, but, like, <laughs> I know that that's, oh, you're like, people are really excited about this guy. I get it. I mean, but anyway, like, he's been <laughs> excellent. Lord. There's no getting around it. And uh, I don't know if this is what it's going to come to, but maybe Auburn's stumbling into a guy that could find himself like picked up in the NBA draft. Oh yeah. Oh like, yeah. You know, with he is a numbers, it might be, yep. you know, we're probably not talking about a lottery pick, but it's still, no. it's like, dang, you went from being a respected recruit, you know, Kentucky basketball, nothing to, to sneeze at, right? Like, wasn't he Mr. Kentucky basketball? Yes. If I got that right. Yeah. So like, and know, that is, a, like that is competitive high school play. That is a competitive high school circuit for sure. Uh, but still, so. I mean, you're talking about somebody that right now might be creeping up some draft boards. I don't know. I don't think he's – I mean, I think he's a guy who's going to be here for several years for him. But I think he very much – like, we know um, Sharif Cooper's really good. Uh, we know that, you know, Jabari Smith's really good. I think we already know that JT Thor's really good. Um, he's just very young. Mm-hmm. Powell might end up being kind of like a like a version of of Chumo Kiki or Isaac Cora. Not in necessarily becoming a lottery pick, but, like, outplaying his ranking – you know, and like developing himself into a guy that can play it. We saw it with Bryce Brown and Jared Harper as well. Uh, Bryce Brown's a great example of it um, and kind of plays the same position. Uh, Powell, 26 points, four of six from deep, five of seven uh, from inside the line, and four of six from the free throw line. He had eight rebounds again. Um, he just, it means a lot to him. He, he crashes the boards uh, really well for a dude who's having to play a lot of point guard. Um, he scored. It's so nice to have a team with length. Yeah. Yeah, and it helps to yeah, when you're when your point guard and shooter six foot six. That's the other thing with him, is that not only is he a dead eye shooter, um, he can get up and over people, uh, which helps. He scored the first eleven points of the game for Auburn. Yeah. At one point he was outscoring Memphis. Yeah. But yeah, it's uh it's been fun to see him I think he outperformed at this point the high expectations I placed on him based on I don't really know, you know, what his stats, his, his stats were really good coming out of high school. Like if you wanted to hype him up because it was like, look how good he was as a shooter is like, yeah. (laughs) Well, I think, I think with a guy like that, who's just got an obviously consistent shot has good length. It's like, Oh, you can plug him into a certain role right away. And if the shots are falling, like he can contribute as a freshman and they've expanded that a little bit Mm -hmm. to do more than I initially would have thought. But yeah, I'm, I think Auburn fans are rightfully so are thrilled with that. What that looks like with Sharif running point and him playing at a natural position or backing Sharif up at point. Yeah, there's uh, there's reason to feel optimistic. For sure. Um, early on, he had some issues with turnovers. Uh, yeah. Turbo, Turbo had a rough game in that that aspect as well mm-hmm. in much less minutes. Um, Justin Powell had some turnovers early. I think he had four maybe early or something like that in the first half. Second half, uh, cut down his turnovers by a ton was a lot more consistent on that end of the floor. Uh, stable. It was a very stable presence for him. Because, uh, man, Memphis is – I mean, we knew they were one of the best defenses in college basketball heading into the season. But, buddy, they are for real in terms of that ball pressure. They are relentless. Those guys are those guys are monsters, um, you know, kind of pressing up on people. So, it was tough. That was tough that, they had to, that he had to deal with it. And uh, he did a really good job of, of handling it. Um, had a three-pointer that gave Auburn a four-point lead with 2.56 left, and Auburn did not relinquish it from that point on. Uh, hit some free throws late. He is uh, in the three wins Auburn has had this season, Painter. Uh, Justin Powell has had 69 points. 
Are you going to say it? Oh, I was waiting for you. Okay, nice. Uh, no, he, he's, he's played really, really well in those games. And when he's been able to stay out on the floor, um, really good game from him. We've talked about it before from Bruce Pearl saying, like, I want to see some separation. I want to see guys emerge as leaders on this team. I think Powell's already there. And I think last night even furthered the case that Jalen Williams and Alan Flanagan are there. Jalen Williams had eight assists and a turnover. Jalen Williams is the starting center on this team. This shows you how much. See how much like are they going to start running more of the offense through him? He was. He's a secondary guy for him, especially when teams want to press. Like he comes up the floor and like he does. You know, he 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 initiates some things. He does. He didn't score. He didn't score much in this game. Didn't have a ton in in rebounding. Uh, but his playmaking ability is just. He's a matchup problem. Right. He's a matchup problem. He opens things up for this for this defense, and and uh, we'll talk about him probably in a little bit as well. Musa Cisse for um, Memphis, uh, really highly rated center, uh, was a rebounding machine in this game. They gained like fourteen or fifteen rebounds at the end of it. Um, they they you know they dragged Cisse out a, a little bit and got him out of got him away from the basket because Williams was you know able to do so much putting the ball on the floor. He had such a really good game there. He means so much for this team early on. I know his stats aren't what Powell's are, but Williams is playing really, really well on both ends of the floor. And then Allen Flanagan, it ain't a fluke, y'all. Allen Flanagan is for real on the offensive end of the floor. Um, and he's still bringing that defense and that and, and that rebounding that we they expected from him. Uh, Flanagan only missed one. You can one. tell who worked. I mean, like, not yeah. the, the other guys didn't work in the offseason, but you can tell that man put in time. Like, his, his game is, does not – necessarily at least to my knowledge resemble any of what we watched on the offensive end last year from Allen. he is far and away a better and more rounded player than he was a few months ago and he's shooting with confidence he's attacking with confidence um you know i've seen it a few times from him this season and i know these are big words and we'll talk about him also in a moment um there was a couple of plays in that game a couple of finishes he had at the rim including one um, including one where on the fast break, I don't know how in the world he got that reverse layup down. Very Okoro esque, like just in terms of like I'm getting to the rim and I'm going the body control and the physicality was big. He drew eight fouls in this game, right? And, and shot decently from the free throw line. Um, he he played a really good game. He was very very physical, and that was an area of the game where Auburn where Pearl was not pleased with the overall physicality of this game. They thought Memphis kind of pushed them around a little bit. They definitely won the boards there and, and used their athleticism better than Auburn did. But Flanagan played with some absolute grit out there and was a huge reason why they came out uh, on top in that one. Um, so really good game really good game from, from Flanagan and Williams. Those guys are separating with Powell. And then it's going to be kind of like, all right, well, what's next? You know, who who else? Can they, can they get two more guys to kind of separate themselves? It's going to be very, very interesting. Sharif Cooper, as we had said in the you know in the premium podcast on Thursday, you know, from what I've been told, Auburn is very optimistic they're going to get Cooper back within within um, the near future. I've heard, I had heard, and this is you know I'd heard from a couple people they expect to get him by the end of the month, um, but we'll see. Again, cannot predict the NCAA. We'll see. We'll see how that goes. But if Cooper can come in and you got Powell and you got Flanagan and you got Williams, like who else is going to be that other one? Mm. Um, 
Fun with some stats in this game. Jamal Johnson, team high, plus nine in this game against his former team, mind you. Good win there for Jamal Johnson playing against yeah, Memphis. Yeah, storyline didn't get much attention. I guess he wasn't there for very long, so maybe that's why. But I didn't really hear a whole lot about that in the build-up to this game. He was a plus nine in that game and only scored one point. Auburn just looks better when he's out on the floor. He's he, that veteran. That veteran leadership is very mm-hmm. obvious. He takes care is of the ball. Set? He does, he makes smart decisions. He stays in front of his man on defense. He, he does a really is that good still job. Still true of Stretch, where it's like he's not. Dude, okay, so last night Stretch had the fourth best offensive rating on the team, and I look at the, I keep looking at it and be like, what in the world am I watching anymore? Like it, it's, you know, Auburn's leaders in offensive rating last night were Jalen Williams, Allen Flanagan, of course, Justin Powell, and then number four was Stretch Akinbola. And the dude doesn't score. I just, it just something opens up when he's on the floor, man. It's it's crazy. It's crazy. Well, that was what I was I was wondering how long that stat can bear itself out, and if it's like, well, maybe if it's going on, you know, for a couple of weeks, there's something to like, it, man. Right. It's not there's a, something it's to not it. A one or two game stretch. So By the way, I, I'm I think all this hinges on me, like to get really excited. It's it's waiting on Sharif, and hopefully there will be an opportunity to see him play for a decent chunk of the season because, as you've just highlighted over the last few minutes, there are a lot of pieces on this team that even without a tournament, I'm getting extremely excited about watching. And it's like... They're fun. There's going to be ups and downs in the conference, but if you put Sharif Cooper on the team and suddenly I like their chances against some of those... uh, some of those squads that maybe we thought were out of reach at the beginning of the year. I don't know. It's it's just one game. Uh-huh. We saw them play rough against UCF. I think we'll see more of that through stretches of the season. But I, I find myself uh, getting more and more amped up as the season goes on, even with some of the losses to this point. Yeah, I mean, there are quite a few teams in the SEC that already have multiple losses this year. Oh, <clears throat> wow. Alabama. One in particular, though. <laughs> Alabama's already got multiple losses, South Carolina, Mississippi State, uh, Auburn, of course, and then uh, the Kentucky Wildcats, who cannot hit the broadside of a barn. Um, they they came back and made that a game late, uh, which was crazy. The, the, their defense, I mean, right. their defense. And they got a good look at the end of the game. They got a really good look at the end of the game. But, man, they, were, they could not put the ball in the basket <laughs> for a lot of that game. And their defense helped bail them out in the second half. And, I mean, no no disrespect there. They played really well on defense. But yeah, the, the team that's all wingspan and athleticism is um, having a hard time scoring. Who would have thought? Uh, yeah, we see them put it together most years. I wonder – I'm I'm more curious this year, given what all every coach is dealing with right now, plus what you're mentioning. It's like, boy, they could really use a player like Sharif Cooper or like Justin Powell on this team because they got lots of – talented athletes but they're still missing a key piece and like to me if that remains that way and nobody emerges for Kentucky there's just going to be more of a ceiling uh, than there normally is with these teams that we see sort of round into form for them at the end of the year also wanted to point out in this game um, speaking of rotations Dylan Cartwell was the closer on at center for most of the final stretch Um, he played well Um, I think Auburn wanted him out there to get that size and bulk uh, up against Musa Cisse, he did a really good job there. Um, good to see Cardwell get some get some big minutes late and, and and get some confidence. Auburn defensively, Memphis shot less than forty percent from the field. They only shot thirty three percent from the field after halftime. Landers Nolly the second, one of the best names in college basketball, and a guy I think Auburn even looked at as a transfer this off season, um, had just nine points. Memphis only hit one three pointer in the second half. Um, they mixed things up. Pearl said they played some one three one, which they hadn't played this year. They played some two three. Every time 
he was saying Penny Hardaway's really good after out of timeouts. So Auburn just kept switching defenses up on them, keeping them on their toes, trying to extend possessions, keep them confused a little bit. Did a really good job. Um, you know, holding they gave eighty they gave up eighty one points to a not good South Alabama team. They only gave up seventy one to what we would consider a good Memphis team. Uh, it's got some athleticism and has got and, and does a really good job on the defensive end on their own. Uh, forced turnovers, got some easy buckets on the other end because of it. It's what we said. This defense is just up, down, up, down, up, down. This is a stretch here, though, where they can get on a run uh, because they play Texas Southern on Tuesday, they play Troy on Saturday, they play Appalachian State on Tuesday, and then they have a break before the SEC opener against Arkansas. They have three games coming up against – these are paycheck games. These are winnable games for Auburn for sure. Get on a little run here. We've heard Pearl talk about it. Let's get on a run. They've beaten South. They've beaten Memphis. Now they can get on a run. That defense can continue to travel like that. You feel good about Auburn's offensive chances, the way Powell's playing, the way Flanagan's playing, the way Williams and some of these other guys are contributing. And also, like we said, the 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 chance that, that Sharif Cooper gets, gets uh, cleared right. here down the stretch. I think you can be excited about a team that mirrors Auburn in a lot of ways, right? Like, didn't they have the postseason ban last year? And they're probably a year ahead of Auburn in terms of their roster right now. They have a little bit more experience. And you already mentioned it, the game being in Atlanta doesn't hurt recruiting. It's a That's a good win in more than one way. Plus, I think the fan base really wanted it. Yeah, it, it, it was it was one of those games as well, for sure, uh, for Auburn. Um, on top of that, I wanted to also mention – uh, turnovers still an issue. They're still going to be an issue until you get a normal point guard. But they managed them pretty well, and they didn't let them hurt, kill them too much in the second half. Rebounding, you know, not everybody's going to be quite as tall as Memphis, not as athletic. But they're going to find some teams that have that level of size and athleticism in SEC play. So get tougher, get stronger, get 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 better. I thought Auburn looked better on the inside in that game as well. We mentioned Javon Franklin having a really good uh, performance. They're um, coming off the bench. Saw some good minutes also from Chris Moore, uh, which is always encouraging to see for Auburn. Some of those guys towards the end of the rotation staying, staying as Pearl likes to say, staying right and staying ready. Um, good win for Auburn. 74-71 over Memphis. You will take that every day of the week. Uh, against a team that's going to be in the NCAA tournament, I believe, if we have one of those this season. Like I said earlier, uh, before we let everyone go, Want to mention another thing that happened on Saturday night at all uh, involving Auburn, Painter? How much did you see of the Isaac Okoro show in his first NBA preseason game? Followed along on social media, and I would say going well. He had an incredible fourth quarter. Uh, didn't miss a shot. Hit a couple threes uh, in the fourth quarter, and then on the final possession of the game, he wins it for um, Cleveland. With an incredible sequence. He's guarding TJ McConnell. Lockdown defense. McConnell can't get a good look on him. You know, he gets it. Uh, he challenges the shot. As soon as the ball comes off the rim and he sees the rebounds down, Okoro immediately slips through the defense in transition, catches the ball to get himself a quick fast break look at the end right before time expires, goes up, finishes through the contact, Goes in, he uh, you know, great game for him. Him, it's a preseason game, yes, but that was an that was just an a, an exceptional performance from from Isaac Okoro, 
And again, we said there was a lot of uh, speculation, uh, you know, and, and Cleveland fans weren't exactly really happy about, you know, getting a guy like Okoro, which we all thought was goofy, but we are all, we're all biased. We watched, okay. we watched I Isaac the same play. Way about them getting him. I was like, well, you guys don't really deserve him. So, <laughs> um, but he played really well. I think he, I think he won some believer believers. Uh, Chumo Kiki had a, had a decent, uh, preseason uh, debut uh, coming off that coming off that injury finally finally playing in the league now um but yeah i mean we're 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 now in the point now where we're gonna have to see all right nba we're gonna watch multiple auburn players get out of there on the floor and it's 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 just it's just gonna be fun to watch i know the i know the cleveland cavaliers themselves aren't going to be very fun to watch we will see about the Orlando Magic themselves being fun to watch. Sorry, Nathan King, um, but um, you got to really, really like what you're seeing early on from from Pearl's two prized uh, products. Uh, and uh, Auburn fans, are, Auburn fans can get inside. I mean, I, that Okoro, that Okoro, though, that late sequence, it was just like, oh, this is why this dude is was a top five pick. I mean, he he locked down on the defensive end and then immediately turned it into a game winner on the other end. Um, and he had a couple threes too. That was the whole thing. It's like, if he can figure out a shot, if he can, if he can stretch the floor, he's going to be a weapon. And it looks like, you know, he's, he's, he's showing an improved three point, uh, range early in his time in Cleveland. And I know that was something he worked a ton on, uh, during lockdown. Good on him. Like, I just want him to have a great career and get a second contract. And hopefully leave Cleveland. <laughs> I mean, if they like him enough and he has a great career and they wanted to stick around, I'd you know, good for Isaac. But I'd, if he's if he's it, good, it enough, actually annoys me to find he'll probably that, get that second that, deal. Yeah, it annoys me to hear that their fans weren't excited by the pick. It's like, all right, well, and that wasn't universal. It wasn't universal, but I heard a lot of it. A lot of people sure. weren't excited. Well, you know, I mean, I, I can understand. He's that. he it's wasn't like, a sexy pick. Yeah, no, it's like you you often gravitate towards guys with great offensive game, and I think we've seen some players who are already set on defense take off offensively once they get into the league. But I get it. You want when you're when you're on draft day and you're thinking about your future and your franchise, offense obviously much sexier. Yeah, for sure. Good for Isaac Okoro. Good Did for Auburn. Did they actually get a postseason ban last year, or was it just hovering over them and they never actually got it? I don't know that. I can't remember. I cannot remember. Happened. I can't remember. And then we didn't it's a good have question. the tournament. So. Yeah. Good for Auburn basketball. Like I said, they play uh, Texas Southern on Tuesday night. We will talk about that game in the midweek episode and then whatever happens from National Signing Day, early signing period on Wednesday. So we'll talk to you guys who are subscribers on Thursday. We'll talk basketball and football once more. Painter, tell, tell them about uh, how they can support the show and uh, everything we got going on at the Observer. Rate, review, subscribe helps us tremendously wherever you listen to the podcast. And tell your friends and family, tell your enemies if they like Auburn football and basketball, we've got you covered. Plus the great stuff Ferg is doing at auburnobserver.com. All of that directly in your inbox. If you like Auburn podcasts, if you like Auburn sports, if you like analysis, if you like a little bit of feature writing, Ferg's got you covered. All right, y'all help us out. We appreciate you. If you're on a, if you're on the the free podcast, we'd love to have you on the premium feed. All right, natural segue. Um, <laughs> that'll do it for this podcast. Appreciate everybody listening um, a lot here. I know this is our second try of recording it, and there was some basketball talk we wanted to stick on to the end. But Auburn football, Gus Miles on out after eight seasons at Auburn. We will continue to keep you updated on Twitter, Jay Ferguson at you paint sharpless. Um, we'll see what the days ahead look like. There's it's going to be a new era. 
and uh, we're going to be covering it every step of the way um, at auburnobserver.com. Like I said, I got some candidate stuff probably lined up in the future, and then uh, we will see how it goes. And then, of course, Auburn basketball still going uh, still going strong this week. They play uh, Texas Southern and Troy. Uh, we'll be covering that as well. Penny, you got anything else? Hypothetical. How okay. does Nick Saban feel about this, given hmm. what an up-and-down relationship the two had as coaches and not personal relationship. I don't think they were particularly close at all in that way, but they certainly not few coaches were able to give Saban or be a, be a thorn in his side as much as Malzahn was to Saban. Yeah. I I think, I think it'll be depending on who is next, like who that hire is next. But like, yeah, I think, I think part of uh, Nick Saban, there was that, there was a mutual respect between those two. You know, I they kind of went back and forth with the rules changes and all that, but I think I think I think Saban is probably thinking, man, I don't have to go to I don't have to go to go to Brian I don't have to go to Jordan Hare next season. I have to deal with all that crap with the home game and Gus teams, and <laughs> right. I think that's I think that's probably part of it as well. But we'll see, we'll see. It's an it's an opportunity. It's a chance for Auburn to potentially jump up and get closer to that level that they want to be with Alabama and Georgia, or. Uh, they could be, uh, maybe they'll join Tennessee. Yeah, that would be rough. That would be rough. Um, I don't think that's going to just hold steady at eight and four for a decade and a half and just paid a lot of money to get the same (laughs) results. It's not off the table, not off the table. We shall see though. And we'll keep you updated. Appreciate you guys listening. Uh, for those of you who are subscribed, uh, check out all the stuff we've got coming up later this week. Sign up $6 a month, $6, $60 a year. It'll get sent into your inbox, whatever we've got coming on Auburn football's new era and Auburn basketball's current very good era with uh, Bruce Pearl. Um, Premium podcast coming up later this week. We'll see. Maybe we'll have a coach to talk about. Maybe we'll have some candidates to talk about. Maybe we'll have some interviews. I don't know. We'll see. We'll we'll, we'll, we'll have some discussions. Uh, For the rest of you, uh, continue to rate and review and subscribe. Thank you all for listening. Thank you all for supporting, and thank you all for tuning in. It's been a weird day. It's been a weird weekend. It's been a weird year. Why not? But one thing we can all all hang our head on, hat on, Painter, is that the Buffalo Bills are playing a nationally televised game tonight. <laughs> That's right, baby. Go Bills. Adios. Go Bills. We'll talk to y'all later.